Welcome to an American view of British science fiction with your host Stephen Kelly. Welcome to episode two of An American View of British Science Fiction. My name is Stephen Kelly. I'm your host tonight. And I figure, you know, while we're here, why don't we do some podcasting? Um, so w- one thing that I wanted to do here was, uh, you know, we spent all of the last episode kind of introducing the podcast. So I think we're just going to get down to business. And uh, I actually was inspired to do this episode a long time ago. When I was doing um, one of my favorite pastimes, which is getting lost in an endless series of internet rabbit holes on various topics. I think one night I was kind of searching around and I found a Reddit page, which was a list of creepy audio and video things. And, you know, after listening to Number Stations, which is horrifying if you guys have never heard those, you might look those up. For a long time, I stumbled across um, some kind of public domain instructional videos that were out of the UK called Protect and Survive. And now I was sort of familiar with these because I watch a lot of British television, especially shows from uh, 1981 to like 84, kind of poked fun at this occasionally, but I'd never actually seen them. And... It's one thing to kind of, you know, offhandedly know about something, but to actually witness these things, it's kind of unnerving. And so I sat down and watched the entirety of these little videos and uh, even looked at the the pamphlet that was supposed to put it, be put out with them, and it's pretty crazy. I'm going to actually play you guys a clip right now of one of them, just so you kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. After an attack is over and the all-clear has been sounded, arrangements will be made as soon as possible to treat any people who are ill or injured. Listen to your radio. Details will be given about what to do, when to do it, and how. If anyone dies while you are kept in your fallout room, move the body to another room in the house. Label the body with name and address and cover it as tightly as possible in polythene, paper, sheets or blankets. Tie a second card to the covering. The radio will advise you what to do about taking the body away for burial. If, however, you have had a body in the house for more than five days and if it is safe to go outside, then you should bury the body for the time being in a trench or cover it with earth and mark the spot of the burial. 
So what you heard was a clip of one of the um, instructional videos for a campaign called Protect and Survive, which was a UK um, initiative that was created in the late 70s, early 80s in the UK. And basically, the entire purpose of Protect and Survive was that whenever, um, if nuclear war were to have happened during the late the you know pretty much the margaret thatcher era the bbc and most other television stations would be directly shifted uh, from playing their normal content to airing clips like the one you saw there and the entire purpose of it was you know to keep people on their toes and give them tips on what to do in the uh, nuclear war that they're dealing with now this was originally not supposed to be made available to the public. It wasn't actually secret, but it was basically available to police stations, fire departments, etc. Um, one thing that happened was people got word of it because there was a, a newspaper article or a series that was kind of talking about it. And people freaked out because at this time... Um, we were ratcheting ever closer to what many people thought was going to be pretty much impending nuclear war, and people wanted to be prepared. And so a lot of this stuff leaked, and they actually, uh, the videos did, and a lot of it, I believe it was a show called Panorama, which is also credited for leaking a lot of the stuff about Scientology and some other things, actually aired the videos, but the pamphlets actually got released because enough people wanted them that they actually ran uh, a printing. And it immediately became evident that people weren't too happy with this. Um, basically, the videos kind of... The, the general gist of the videos that a lot of people had was that it's basically giving you busy work to do. So if a bomb were to drop anywhere near the England... Um, Rather than freaking out and getting in your car and trying to drive somewhere else or anything worthwhile, you're basically breaking down your tables and building a lean-to out of them and filling sandbags and building a moat and moving crap around. And that way, when you die, you're not you know out th throwing bombs through the windows of the government buildings. I'm being a little bit glib about it, but that's the general idea of... of kind of what was going on there. Um, I'm actually, this is probably going to be a series that I'm going to discuss here, and I'm actually going to go a little bit further into this in a later episode, so just kind of remember this when we get there. Um, I was kind of looking around for just general reaction to this, because I recall I was kind of talking about TV, and like there's an episode of a show called The Young Ones, which is a popular British television show that actually aired in America in the 80s where they think a bomb's going to fall and they end up, you know, they they pretty much mock what's happening and everything. And uh I kind of figured that most a lot of there was probably a lot of news articles and stuff about this and sure enough if you go to Google and spread the search out to 1979 to 1981, um you do get a lot of information of just kind of general episode or general information about how people kind of felt and i think uh, i found a, a quote that kind of 
shows kind of how a lot of people were feeling. Because, I mean, there was definitely going to be the older people that would do it just because of a sense of duty. But a lot of younger people were kind of keyed off a little bit. And this is a, a newspaper article called The New Internationalist, issue 97, March 1981. And it appears to be a Marxist website, which I'm not, you know, supporting or condoning anything in there. But it kind of, it, it's a counterculture publication, so it sort of shows the the opposite of what the government was would be showing. And it says, uh, and I quote, the population of this country, however, oh, and the, what they're talking about here is their officials are going to end up in secret bunkers somewhere, and that everyone else is kind of going to be left on their own. And anyway, go back to the quote here. The production or the population of this country, however, will not be invited to these bunkers. And wh- where they are is an official secret. The population will be sent off with a do it yourself booklet, parentheses protect and survive, to wait in their homes. They will be advised to go down to the ground floor or cellar, make a cabbie hole there with old doors and planks, cover it with sandbags, books, and heavy furniture, and then creep into these holes with food and water for 14 days, a portable radio, portable latrine, and of course, a tin opener. Etc. So what you do, what you see here is there was kind of a cynicism towards the government and their ability to kind of handle these kind of situations. Um, so this rabbit hole that I went down <laughs> listening to this and doing a research on it took me even further to where I was looking at, you know, some more of this protest stuff. And there was actually a counter pamphlet release called Protest and Survive which basically, rather than calling for you to do all this busy work and everything for queen and country, it was basically to keep people thinking about, hey, how about we actually disarm ourselves instead of ramping this up even more. And uh, I'm going to put this stuff up in the show notes so you can kind of look over it. But it's it's pretty interesting to look at because if you're not you know ready for this kind of stuff, you know, living nowadays... We don't really have anything going on quite as kind of scary as this, so it's kind of easy to look back and dismiss it a little bit. Um, I was born in the early 80s, so I was actually far too young to really know anything about this stuff. Plus, I lived in rural Kansas, which even though if nuclear war would have happened, I would have been one of the first people bombed, most likely, because we had a uh, missile silo relatively close by to where we were. I found out much later. But... um, you know, it's not in, right on our our consciousness right now. You know, and one thing that kind of makes me think back to this is right now we're in a situation politically where you have a lot of people kind of doing the same sort of things that led us to this last nuclear, you know, scare. And it's kind of interesting to look back at how people were handling it then. So anyway, um, the cynicism and distrust of government is kind of... One of the things that I think will translate to our main topic tonight, which is, you know, I'm not just going to go through a history lesson here. We actually are going to talk about British science fiction, but I'm kind of setting the scene a little bit here to, you know, get you guys thinking about what what was going on right now. Um, What I would honestly recommend is I actually found a documentary online called uh, 1983, The Brink of Apocalypse. Um, You can watch it on YouTube. And it actually sets up the fact that in 1983, we were as as a globe, as a as a population, the closest to basically a mass extinction than we ever were. 
when um, everything was getting ratcheted up further and further and further, it there was a uh, a military exercise called Able Archer that the Russians were not exactly a hundred percent sure was an exercise. And due to numerous, on both sides, numerous false missile launches that almost, you know, just accidentally caused uh, this to happen, uh, people, Russia was honestly thinking that we were declaring, that America was declaring war on them. And unfortunately, with the close proximity to where we are, uh, where England is to Russia, Everyone assumes pretty much that England would get just obliterated when this was going on. And uh, the interesting thing is, you know, I'm going to put links to this up. You know, obviously nothing happened, but it kind of dramatizes everything a little bit in this documentary. And you can kind of see that um, people were terrified. I mean, people were literally, you couldn't turn on the news without people talking about nuclear war, um, doing that Google search, I eventually looked around a little bit and there was articles about, you know, how to get your kids not to be freaked out about the nuclear war. Um, how to, there was a psychological paper about dealing with nuclear war when it happens and, you know, various other things. And so basically what this kind of led me to believe is, did this general terrified mindset of everyone assuming that nuclear war was going to happen pretty much right around the corner change the media that was out during the time? Because everything sort of goes in trends. You know, right now we are in a fairly normalized period where there's not much, you know, we have a lot of escapism going on in our movies and such where we have, you know, the occasional. Well, we have comic book movies, and we have a lot of stuff like that. But there's really not a lot of stuff that kind of tackles issues very much. And a lot of times when stuff does, I know, um, for instance, you had Elysium, a South African uh, film that came out a couple years ago, um, Neil Blomkamp. And it had, um, you know, a, a very overt... Uh, call to action for healthcare in the movie and a lot of people flipped out and condemned the movie because it was taking a political stance and so on and so forth there really isn't too much stuff like that you know but if you go back and look at the early 80s especially there are there is uh, tons of what i would call nuclear holocaust fiction and you have books movies television shows and what I kind of want to do these next few weeks is kind of look at some of this stuff and just get you guys uh, thinking about what, what exactly was going on and look at some themes that we're seeing here and everything like that. Um, so, you know, most most of this stuff took place in the 80s. Um, but kind of the precursor to this, and um, one thing that I was going to do originally was I was going to immediately jump into a review of a show called Threads, which is actually going to be the next episode when we talk about it. But um, when doing this, I originally stumbled upon a movie called War Game, and uh, War Game is actually older than Threads, and War Game is from 1965. Now... One could say almost that it was the precursor to Threads a little bit, 
but um, you'll kind of see it's it's kind of got its own thing going on. But basically, what happened was the BBC in 1965 uh, commissioned a television drama documentary, well, like a, a mockumentary or faux documentary, and it's depicting a nuclear war. Um, basically, this uh, this crew got together, and it was helmed by uh, Peter Watkins. And it was part of this television series called The Wednesday Play. And when they filmed this this thing and made it, it was you know going to go out, no issues whatsoever. And then people started watching it and realized, oh my god, this is horrifying. And it got pulled. It was originally supposed to air seventh uh, of October, nineteen sixty five, and it got completely yanked out of circulation completely. Um, BBC went on to say the effect of the film has been judged by the BBC to be horrifying for the medium of broadcasting. It will, however, be shown to invited audiences. 9.16 a.m. A single megaton nuclear missile overshoots Manston Airfield in Kent and airbursts six miles from this position. At this distance... The heat wave is sufficient to cause melting of the upturned eyeball, third degree burning of the skin, and ignition of furniture. Twelve seconds later, the shock front arrives. last wave from a thermonuclear explosion has been likened to an enormous door slamming in the depths of hell. It wasn't actually until much later when they decided to air it. Um, we're talking 1985. They finally dusted it off. And it, the only reason they aired it, it was like someone had reminded them that it existed in the archives. And it's, you know, amazing that it didn't disappear with all of the you know one thing that we talk about on this website occasionally is how doctor who was junked a lot during the 60s because they would run out of tapes and they would decide to just go ahead and you know wipe out some old tapes to make room for new stuff so this film was preserved and you had the 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 40th anniversary of the hiroshima bombings so they decided that they would go ahead and show this and they actually showed it after, ironically, uh, the the show Threads, which was kind of based on it. So, um, the most chilling thing about the war game is that the style of it is a documentary. Um, it, it has a little bit of satire in it that we're going to talk about, but for the most part, if you weren't paying attention, you would almost think that you were watching an actual documentary about something. It's black and white, you know, and granted this is, you know, in the 60s, so not everyone had color television, so that's not out of the ordinary. Um, it has, you know, the man on the street with a microphone vibe going on. It's got a narrator, etc. And basically, it depicts um, what what is going on during a fictitious nuclear war. And pretty much what ends up happening is, it, the plot line for this is China ends up invading South Vietnam and starts a war. Um, tensions escalate within the United States 
to um, basically launch nuclear war against the Chinese to get them out of there. Now, with all this tension ramping up, the, uh, the Soviets and East German forces kind of start saying, hey, if you guys are going to start this junk over here, we're going to invade West Berlin. And because we know that you guys are going to probably use this to, you know, come knocking this wall down. So, in order to kind of ease it, the United States authorizes NATO to use tactical nuclear weapons. And they do. So, an escalating nuclear war happens. And Russia retaliates and basically starts hammering the UK with nuclear weapons. They don't really talk about too much other places that it happens, but since this actually goes down in the United Kingdom, it's that's the main focal point. Probably some of the most jarring scenes in the film are that there's a lot of stuff where it shows they know that the, the attack is going to happen. So they start going around and doing kind of a, uh, a pamphlet campaign, much like Protect and Serve, or Protect and Survive, where the government starts handing out leaflets on what to do. And you end up having all these... Uh, kind of reactions of people where they're trying to get people out of centralized locations in London and uh, what ends up happening is they interview a lot of people and you've got your general reactions where you see some kind of bad people hoarding supplies and trying to get out of um, they, they start forcing people to have extra families come and live with them and you start seeing some people that are interviewed that are, you know, less than good people. There's one lady that probably one of the more shocking moments in it, other than, you know, granted this is me in 2015 looking back at something made in the 60s and judging it from my modern perspective, but there's a lady that they interview that basically, uh, you know, looks at the camera and basically says, I don't, I hope that I don't have any colored people living with me. And you're just watching it like, oh, God, like, why would you in that situation even think about that? You know, that's the last thing that most people would come to the conclusion of. But, you know, stuff like that brings out the worst in people. And, you know, you've got that. And then there's also um, the the satire comes in a little bit because they occasionally will have these uh, title cards almost where like newspaper articles and, you know, quotes and stuff like that, talking about the day-to-day activities of, um, you know, what's going on during this ordeal. Um, and some of them are mostly church-related, and they kind of act to show you sort of how out, out of touch certain people are. And uh, the one that really got me was there's a couple of them where, well, here's one. I'll just read it outright. It says, uh, during a recent meeting of the Ecumenical Council at the Vatican, an English and American bishop exposed the view or expressed the view that, the, quote, the church must tell the faithful that they should learn to live with, though not need to love, the nuclear bomb, provided that it is clean and of a good family. And there's another one that says, uh, quote, during a recent meeting of the Ecumenical Council at the Vatican, a bishop told the press that he was sure our, quote, nuclear weapons will be used with wisdom, end quote. So, you know, damage control there by the church trying to get people to stop freaking out and everything just kind of comes across the most ridiculous way ever. And I can honestly see, 
you know, organizations doing that. We've seen things recently with like the, the Center for Disease Control releasing pamphlets on how to survive a zombie outbreak and stuff. And it's just like you see stuff like that and it, ha ha, yeah, that's funny. Walking Dead's popular. And you're like, are you guys really preparing us for legit things? You know, what if something does happen? Are we going to, you know, that zombie apocalypse pamphlet's going to be great. Thanks, guys. So, um, one thing, you know, the writing in this is obviously dark because of the subject matter. The visuals are actually pretty dark, too, because, um, you know, you've got stage situations where they when the nuclear explosion happens, they don't have, you know, this is 1965. They don't have the greatest special effects. Probably the only kind of bad thing in the film is when the, the bomb hits, it doesn't look that great. But, you know, I like to look at things with the idea of, okay, this isn't a modern film or anything, but if you can get past that, like there's a scene where directly after the bomb hits, you see this uh, family in their house and just the house is getting messed up. Everyone goes outside. Um, there's pretty much handheld cameras going on. You know, this is years before stuff like Blair Witch and Cloverfield came out. And you've got, like, scenes where people are trying to fight fires. And, uh, you know, people are dying in the streets. And you have people, you know, smeared with blood and all sorts of, you know, well, it's black and white, you don't know, blood or soot or something running around. And you're just kind of watching this going, oh my God, this is from the 60s. You know, this was back when, this is 10 years before people were watching Doctor Who and saying, man, this Doctor Who, this is too scary for kids. And you've got, you know, the war game going on. And you can see, honestly, why this probably did not make it to air because I honestly think this would have horrified people, especially if this was primetime television, which the name of the show that it was on kind of shows that. Um, so there's also a lot of, uh, there's a scene, you know, towards the, the, the third act of the film where there's a, a group of policemen kind of ha- being, they're walking around. They're actually force to do mercy killings on people that are horribly injured. Um, so basically you're kind of watching these people go out and putting, you know, shooting people out of, in, in, to put them out of their misery. And you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> and it kind of shows a, a general, like there was a, one thing that I was kind of looking at when I was reading about the protect and survive stuff was that one of the main criticisms of that pamphlet was that, it completely underestimated the ability to of the National Health Service in the UK to handle the medical problems that would arise from this sort of thing. And, you know, there's instructions on, as you heard, what to do with casualties and what to do, you know, with people that are alive and everything. And let's face it, if something like there would probably be people walking around putting people out of their misery with service revolvers. Um it's just kind of it, it's it's really shocking to watch but you can kind of just tell that <laughs> it was a you know a different time there's uh there's a lot of stuff in this movie that i honestly think everyone should watch because it's kind of a, a something that gets you ready for some of the later stuff in the 80s but it's also you kind of look back on this and it's it's a, a glimpse into history of what people were thinking 
with these kind of situations because you know in in, a, in America we had some stuff like this that I'm going to talk about a little bit of it later but our post-apocalyptic fiction sort of shifted the other direction we weren't necessarily over here as cynical and everything kind of reverted to Mad Max type stuff you know you had your uh biker gangs clad in bondage wear waving chains at each other riding on motorcycles and cool cars and you know people got to be you know it was it was like almost the wild west mentality ramped up to 11 because you know you had all these crazy mutants running around but also you know the hero of the show got to be you know truly free for the first time and society was collapsed he got to be the you know the king of his world and etc you know and that's all good and all but let's get real if something like this did happen it would be closer to the war game it would be a gruesome scene that no one wants to deal with and you know casualties no one would be ready for it no matter how many pamphlets no matter how many you know tv things that go out we're not ready for something like this um so one thing i wanted to uh bring up before we we get rolling here there was uh I have some quotes a little bit. Um, now, apparently there was a uh, like a BBC inquiry um, where a lot of people assumed that the government had pressured BBC to pull the show. And uh, this was actually their official statement that was trying to kind of ease the media a little bit. Um, and I quote, the BBC has decided that it will not broadcast The War Game, a film on the effects of nuclear war in Britain produced by Peter Watkins. This is BBC's own decision. It has been taken after a good deal of thought and discussion, but not as a result of outside pressure of any kind. When the television service undertook the making of a film of the subject, it recognized the risk that the film might turn out to be unsuitable for general showing. In the event, the effect of the film has been judged by the BBC to be too horrifying for the medium of broadcasting. It will, however, be shown to invited audiences, including those people who helped to make it. So, as I mentioned earlier, basically they showed it in the theater for some people. Um, not a wide release whatsoever. Um, what I kind of hoped was they actually had some people. Um, the quote that I was looking for was removed from Wikipedia, apparently. But there was a couple newspaper articles where people flipped out about it completely and <laughs> made a big spectacle out of the whole thing, probably making people want to see it more. That's usually how stuff like that works. But, um, you know, luckily we can watch it as, you know, modern people. Um, so that's the war game. And, you know, next week we're going to be kind of looking at what came after the war game. The war game is fairly short it's less than an hour long, and it's sort of, it gets in, gets out, boom. We're going to actually talk about the spiritual successor to the war game. Um, I remember originally when I wrote an article about this film, I had a lot of people on the, the message board, or on, my, on the website in the comments section say, Hey man, you have to watch Threads. You know, constantly, you have to watch this. And I had never heard of Threads. And so that's actually what we're going to talk about next week on uh, part two of this series of uh, 1980s post-apocalyptic um, fiction, you know. And I basically included War Game in this, even though it's from the 60s, because a lot of people didn't even see it until the 80s. 
and it's also kind of the prototype for these. So, you know, that's what we're doing next week. A um, little bit of news here. I'm going to be actually attending a comic convention here before too long. Um, I am going to probably in about a month or so, because I do have some of these episodes planned out, I'm going to be discussing some of the stuff there. Um, last year, I went to this convention. I live in uh, near Kansas City. and It's a fairly large convention called Planet Comic Con. Last year, we actually had Sylvester McCoy in attendance. This year, both Amy Pons from the most recent series of Doctor Who are going to be there. You know, Caitlin Blackwood and um, Karen Gillan. So that's going to be really exciting. If I can come up with some kind of reports on what they talk about in panels and stuff, I'll attempt to do that. Um, last year, I actually discussed quite a bit of stuff on the site, you know, via a big giant article with pictures and everything. So I'm going to try to do something like that again this year. It just might not be, you know, super close to the convention. I'm going to, um, you know, and you never know, I might record something during the convention. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens, what goes down. So just keep, just stay tuned. We're going to be continuing this subject uh, for a little while. Next week, we're going to talk about threads. I've actually, I think got enough planned out to do, four episodes of this and then we're going to jump to possibly something else but this was sort of an introduction to the whole thing um i wanted to get you guys kind of thinking about the time period and thinking about what was kind of happening in politics and such um don't forget to check out the show notes i'm going to actually put links to a lot of this stuff up in the show notes with some quotes and uh you know some different things up there so Feel free to drop by the website in American View of British Science Fiction.com, which is, I know, an insanely long URL. That was my bad judgment back in 2011 when I created the site. And now the site's been going too long for me to really change it. So, unless I rebrand it like crazy here before too long, we're stuck with writing a doctoral dissertation to get to the site. But um, that's it for tonight, though. I figure. We've talked about enough depressing stuff. I'm going to link you guys to the the main article for this if you guys want to see more. I'm also going to link you to the actual website because, as far as I know, it's public domain. It's free to watch on YouTube. So get your viewing on. Um, other than that, <laughs> I hope you guys all have a wonderful night, wonderful day. I'm not sure when you guys are listening to this. You know, This could be the year 2530 for all I know. And if that's the case, I am so glad that... My podcast has survived this long. But, alrighty, folks. I will talk at you later. Bye bye.